Well, hello to everyone. This is the Gut Check with Cesar Gomez, and I'm super excited today to bring you more gut checks. And you guys might ask, why is it the gut check? Because one of the things we've done is every person that comes in as a guest or myself when I upload any new episodes, the things that you want to look out for is the personal experiences, the lessons through the journey of entrepreneurship, through different careers, and for you to be able to listen to them and resonate through your personal experiences. And that's what the gut check is. And with that, let's get this ball rolling. Well, hello to everyone. This is Caesar with the Gut Check. And today, actually, I'm super excited. I have a great friend, family member, the godfather of our, our youngest child, um, Omar Sanchez. You know, uh, an amazing basketball career as a head coach at Holy University. And, you know, I don't want to take a little bit of his story, but, you know, welcome welcome to the podcast. Omar, how you how you doing today? I'm doing great, Susan. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate the platform you've created for people. So I'm excited to have this uh, talk with you. Well, I appreciate, um, you know, I appreciate you accepting my offer. This is actually the second time we're doing this. Uh, we recorded it last week and, you know, there was technical difficulties. There was sound quality. So we decided to just, you know, redo this podcast. So I'm actually super excited because this time we're going to do a twist that we didn't do on on the last episode. So, you know you know thank you again for for accepting my invite and you know let's get this rocking and rolling like i always say so one of the things that you know i want to uh, ask you is i know your upbringings we've known each other for 20 plus years we're family but the journey that you've taken has been an inspiration for my life uh, my children's life um, and many other people you've touched and that's one of the reasons that to me was super exciting to have you on this podcast because i've seen you evolve i see i seen your upbringings you know when i first met you we're talking about 1998 you know 22 years ago um we're totally different human beings than we are today because we've evolved so you know i want to get a little bit of your upbringings where you grew up you know the the hardships what kept you focused and all the great things you've been able to accomplish and so many people you touched along the way. Oh, well, you know, we, you know, our, our, our history is what's make, what makes us and uh, makes us or breaks us, I should say. Um, you know, I'm really proud of where I grew up. I've never shied away from that. I say that with, uh, with pride, uh, you know, born in Compton, lived there for a while. And then we moved over to Watts. Uh, which was rough, man. It was rough growing up in a gang setting, and um, you know, uh, we when by the time we got to Watts, I mean, we we lived in a crip neighborhood and had to walk to a, a blood neighborhood to go to middle school, and uh, and then thankfully uh, when we went back to high school, we were back in in our own neighborhood, so it was a little bit better. But um, you know. For me, it's just uh, the amount of adversity you have to face just to walk to school and uh, navigate through some of the dynamics of, uh, of those pieces, which I'm thankful that, you know, I, I believe both our kids don't have to worry about those situations in general. But, uh, but you know, th- those are the kind of experiences for me that molded me into who I am, who uh, helped me have this growth mindset of wanting 
uh, to impact people's lives in a different way and to be able to uh, say that I that I came from there and uh, was able to do something with my life and not only do something with my life, but also be able to um, to help others in the process of uh, learning how to navigate through situations uh, or the adversity of life. And so uh, obviously there's a plethora of experiences that occurred, you know, from from the time, obviously, that we lost our, uh, you know, your, your wife's uh, brother. Um, that, that was a surreal experience at the age of uh, nine, and he was seven, and, and, you know, being shot in a drive-by shooting and seeing that firsthand. And, you know, obviously going, you know, you, you would see dead bodies in the neighborhood, laying in alleys and stuff, but uh, it was never the same, considering it was someone that you knew and cared about and spent a lot of joyous moments with and so. You know, it's moments like that and, you know, being at a high school where violence was uh, an everyday occurrence, whether someone is getting jumped or, you know, people are fighting or, you know, you hear that there was a stabbing. And so those situations for me um, definitely uh, highlighted some of the things that I really wanted to change about uh, uh, where I wanted to be and how I wanted to go about uh, situating myself to help others. Uh, so, you know, and I was fortunate enough too, man, I, I will say, uh, uh, to this day, they're still really good friends of mine. And, and, you know, one of them obviously is, uh, I baptized his daughter as well. Um, David Mendoza, who really was a, a huge mentor as well as Rudy Fernandez and Mario Fernandez. They really took me under their wing and, it really mentored me. They were older gentlemen, and and it's funny because uh, when I first started hanging out with them, I, I thought my parents were a little nervous because they were older. Maybe they thought they were, you know, uh, trying to influence me in the wrong way. But they ended up being some of the biggest influences of my life um, to really help me navigate through, like I said, the dynamics of living in in Watts and uh, and advising me correctly. They wouldn't let me get into any ruckus. They wouldn't let me. You know, the fact that I played sports, that, you know, they supported that and they wanted me to really uh, do well academically. And so they were always, uh, David specifically was always very um, forthcoming with telling me what I needed to hear and not what I wanted to hear. And I think that was so important for me as a, as a young man to hear that from somebody that, uh, that had more life experience than I did. You know, and, and one of the things that, you know, sharing that story, how you could have, you know, got involved with the gangs and got involved with the stabbings, got involved with the shootings and, you know, all the bad things going on. But you decided to pivot. You decided to hang around with somebody that was older, more mature. And, you know, when you're at a young age, when you're a teenager, I mean, there's so many options. There's so many, you know, ways, so many different paths one could take. And, you know, having hardworking parents, you know, that they're busy working, they're trying to provide. Um, and, you know, you try to have a conversation and they're like, you know, leave me alone or, you know, they're too busy trying to just pro be providers. How how did you how did you make that decision? And I know, you know, the, the situation with um, um, your cousin and, and my brother-in-law, um, that right there is a pivotal moment. And either you could, you know. It, it could destroy 
you know, it destroys your heart. I mean, it just creates so many emotions. But how did you make that decision to say, you know, I don't want to take that path. I want to take this other path. What, what was what was going through your head at that time? Well, you know, I, I think at the time, uh, I've always been a man of faith. Obviously, when I was seven and we lived in Compton, um, I had a life-changing experience where I got ran over by a drunk driver crossing the road in a skateboard and uh, was hospitalized for about three, three and a half months. Uh, you know, and, and that was a, a big pivotal point in my life because, one, man, I, I the fact that I didn't break any bones uh, was a miracle in itself. I was underneath the car and got dragged out a hole in my chest. I had, you know, burns all over my face. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, my mom and dad are tremendous uh, workers. They just, you know, have such a, uh, <clears throat> a blue collar mentality of just rolling up their sleeves and, and getting it done because, you know, they have four boys. And, and at the time, it was four boys. And then my sister came along later in life. But uh, nonetheless, uh, that experience in itself, uh, uh, believe it or not, man, drew me closer to my purpose of serving. And uh, I had a, a very, uh, I had an epiphany. Uh, I remember uh, vividly that uh, I was in an all white room and my mom was saying that I was going in and out and kind of talking about uh, being in a place that was not where I was. And so, um, Ever since that day, I've always uh, believed in my faith and uh, believed that uh, God led my life. And so, uh, you know, when I went through the situation with uh, my cousin, that was surreal. And it's just, uh, you know, life is going to be filled with adversity and pain. It's how you deal with that, that, you know, you either utilize that to fuel you or you utilize that to, 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 make you be a victim thinker. And I really didn't want to be a victim thinker. I, I had a vision for myself that I know that there, there was more to life than what I was seeing. And, uh, you know, I, I always say growing up in games, um, I, I don't necessarily want to speak about games in a negative connotation because I understand why games exist. And uh, games exist because there isn't a, a strong family um presence at home and so the gangs provide that uh for some of these kids that are lost fortunately for us contrary to my mom and dad being hard workers there was always a family presence in our home and uh part of that was our grandparents inserting themselves and you know the whole the whole mentality of it it takes a village i mean that's essentially what it was in our household and uh for a while there also uh you know, your mother-in-law and, and uh, your father-in-law, my uncle and my aunt, we lived together. And so we we figured out how to manage that dynamic uh, very quickly. Um, but, you know, I, I, on top of being a tremendous worker, my dad was very much so an authoritative figure in the sense that he, it was going to be his way or the highway. And uh, there was no quarrels about that in our house because, my dad really was uh, the disciplinarian. My mom took care of us, raised us, but she knew that if we got out of line, the minute she told my dad, um, that was her mechanism of fear she used against us and really worked to tell us, uh, to keep us in line. And so, uh, you know, uh, 
it took a village really, man. And I, I felt like, uh, you know, as much as my mom and dad were not around, quote unquote, like you typically think that parents should be around, they really worked really hard. And uh, we, I really took notice uh, the amount of work they put in to provide what they could for us. You know, and, 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 and it's so the analogy you gave is just so on point. And, you know, many, many people today don't understand, especially more of the young kids don't understand the, the battles of, of, of our upbringings and you sharing your story, how you had to deal with, you know, gang violence and why gangs exist. You know, they still exist, but I don't think they exist like they did, you know, when we were growing up. So, you know, there's a whole different world out there and, and it's a whole different type of environment. So, you know, being able to understand that the reason these gangs were created back, it's because of the dynamics, you know, at, at the in the household, the love that they weren't getting at home, they would go look for it somewhere else. And that created a domino effect into violence, people getting hurt, people getting killed. And on top of that, having your dream of that I want to get to next about being a basketball player through all the adversities, through all the, you know, um, setbacks, all the, you know, losing your cousin in, in, in a drive by shooting and still be able to pursue, which, you know, and I want I want you to talk about how did basketball come into your life? You know, I I was not a typical Mexican-American kid, man. I was really tall, you know, being, I mean, I remember in fifth grade being the tallest kid in my class, so being the tallest kid and being in an elementary school that's predominantly African-American and Mexican, I mean, you got the hoop courts. And so I was really drawn to it because um, basketball accepted me. And I was able to get on the court and – play a game that I thought at the time was cool and the more I kind of delved into it and looked at it and uh, um, you know wanted to see how I could get better there was such an opportunity to to always get better that you couldn't get complacent that if you wanted to be good you uh, you 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 needed to put in the work there was no substitute uh, there was no magic pill. There was no, you know, magic potion that you could have or take that would make you a better basketball player. You would have to put in the work in order to be good. Now, um, in the world today where AAU is such a dominant thing and, and everyone's about exposure, back then it was about spending time on the playground and really getting after it. And so I really, uh, it was my first love, I would say, uh, basketball because the minute I got on that court, I just felt so liberated and I felt like I could just do so much. And if I was going to see success in this sport, it was because I was going to put in the work. Now I was by no means uh, in my high school and middle school and elementary school friends um, will tell you, I wasn't the best player at all, but uh, you know, as I mentioned, growing up in a household with two hardworking parents, uh, I knew I had that characteristic in me. I knew that that was going to be something that I could utilize and leverage in my life was my work ethic. And so in my process of growing in basketball, I, I, one thing that would remain constant was my work ethic. I wanted to get better. I wanted to put in the work. Um, you know, my mom would always let me go across the street to San Miguel 
the playground uh, and, and go get shots. And then if I was there shooting, then the neighborhood kids would come. And then all of a sudden we'd have 15, 20 people playing and we'd be playing full court. And so, you know, I just felt that also basketball connected people that normally wouldn't connect. And so, um, you know, it was an opportunity for me to be able to, uh, to really grow myself. And, uh, there's nothing wrong with a little competition in your life. And that's what basketball provided for me was an enormous amount of competition, uh, not only with myself, but against others. Uh, and then the camaraderie that it brought to bring people together and, and play a game that to me meant so much. So, so, you know, you said something super, you know, that just caught, like it just blew my mind right now. You said work ethic. Um, in today's world, there's so much facades, and, and, and then we'll get back to your basketball career, but there's a facade of people thinking that there's a shortcut to success. And I know for a fact that, you know, a philosophy that I always, that's always stuck to me is that work ethic outbeats talent um, because you can have a talented person that doesn't work hard. But here comes, for example, you and you work your ass off and I'll work talent. Um, and, and that's a fair statement because in reality in life, to be able to achieve anything you desire, it's work. It, and it's not like you said, there's no magic potion. There's no magic video you'll watch that'll get you, you know, uh, it'll help you or guide you. But it's not going to give you the success that you, you envision. And most people envision success as you know, a little bit of work and in a lot of, you know, material dollars in the bank account, but that's just not how that works. Yeah. I'll say two things about that. One, um, I always tell my players, your success is not, it's not going to come from what you do in front of me. It's what's going to, what you're going to do when I'm not watching you. And, uh, that is the tedious work that you put in that, that is repetitive, that consists, um, that that requires a certain level of uh, consistency and uh, evolving, um, and, and that that always happens when no one's watching. Uh, and, and the other thing I always say is, if you take the elevator to success, and sometimes people do take the elevator to success, just as quick as you went up, uh, you will come down that much faster. Mm. So. so I always use the analogy of the stairs, right? You, you always take the stairs to success. And the way that works is when you take the stairs in a building, you always get to a certain level. And at each level, what determines whether or not you can go to the next one is what have you done? What work have you, have you done as you're progressing up those stairs? Because eventually, you'll get to a level and, and you have a platform that will either dictate that you're ready to go to the next level or that you're not. And that's the success and failure piece. The problem is that most people are afraid of failure, so they get deterred by failure. Most people that want to be successful, they run towards failure because they know that is something that they have to fix. I have failed so many times in my life that <clears throat> I utilize those as experiences to, to uh, figure out what I need to tweak, what I need to do better because my determination is so much greater than me accepting failure in my life. And so you have to take the stairs to success. 
And you have to prepare yourself along the way because you're going to have a platform that you're going to show whether or not you're ready. And if you're not ready, you cannot blame anyone, right? And most people as you know, are victim thinkers. You can't say why these things are happening to you because you've had the same opportunity than the next person to really better yourself and, and have the mindset of how, how am I going to get better? How am I going to better myself? How am I going to better myself in life? And if you have that mindset, you're going to have a growth mindset. But if you're going up those stairs and you get to your platform and all of a sudden you fail, like, oh, why is this happening to me? Then you become a victim thinker and you're never going to be able to grow and go to the next step. And that's where I think people get stuck. And, and, and I wish people would learn how to rephrase their, their mindset to help them grow instead of help them uh, be victims of whatever's happening to them in their life. You know, and, and that's that's a hundred, a thousand percent right on. I mean, I always say you fail your way to success. But, you know, like you said right now, failure has to be a lesson. You can't just fail and then brush it off and then go do the same mistake again. You have to learn from the mistake and you have to adjust and you have to refine. You know, one of the things that works for me is like, you know, I got people. Oh, why are you so smart? I'm not smart. I cheat. I document my failures. I have journals and journals with all my failures that I things that I've done that didn't work and then I refine them until I get I, I figure them out and that's one of the things that you that you just hit on the head it's you have to learn from the mistake you can't just make the mistake and then say okay well you know it, I went through it and then you do it again well now now you're not learning now you're just letting things happen and, you know, there's a mm-hmm. lot there's a misconception that people think that successful people um, have some type of, you know, uh, they're that they're lucky or they were at the right place at the right time. But they don't understand just the adversity that, you know, people got to go through. For example, in your story, um, just just your upbringings, most people would have not um, been able to accomplish what you have accomplished if they were just settled and took the, the the path of least resistance or just been able to, you know, settle in and, and, and feel cozy with, you know, the first person that, you know, made them feel good. You didn't take that path. And and, you know, being in that arena, being in that neighborhood, being, you know, being exposed to so much um, uh, so much negativity going on, you still were able to surpass is be able to surpass that and, and be able to evolve and, and do the great things that you're doing. So basketball. So you, so you, when you were in high school, did you start playing basketball as a freshman? How, how did that, how did that transition into be, being, being in the basketball team in high school? Yeah, of course, you know, uh, we, by the time I got to high school, um, as I mentioned, man, I, I was a scrawny little kid and, uh, and uh, just happened to be by the time I got to high school, I was about six three, and uh, I was one of the tallest guys. Um, w- what happened in high school was, uh, you know, our high school coach Ed Kamiyama, which again, man, going to a predominantly um, Mexican and African American uh, high school with I don't know twenty six hundred students. Um, it was it was ironic that I had an Asian um, Asian American high school coach, and then for volleyball I probably had the only Caucasian um, uh, volleyball coach in the entire district. I mean it was crazy. Um, but 
one of, one of the things about Ed Kamiyama was his thing was discipline. And uh, my freshman year, I did not, I, I did not start in varsity. I started um, on the JD team just because of my height alone. Uh, but Coach Kamiyama was about earning. You had to earn your spot. You weren't just going to be given something because you were talented. And um, I remember starting with about 50-plus players. And by the time the season started, uh, I ended up being moved up to varsity because they went from 17 guys to about eight, and we finished the season with seven. Um, and that was because Coach Kamiyama was determined to weed out the weak. He was determined to weed out those people that didn't understand that in order to play basketball, you needed to to uh, to put in the work. And so uh, we would always start practice with a two-mile run. And uh, if you did not make the time on your two-mile run, you could not come to practice. And so growing up in high school with a lot of guys that were, were trying to find uh, ways to make money, I guess, uh, you know, slanging dope and doing all that kind of stuff, to them getting in shape or putting in the work for basketball was not a priority. Um, you know, they were there because they just happened to be tall and athletic and maybe their uncle who once played at, at that school was like, hey, man, you're going to play hoop. And so people got weeded out quickly. And uh, even though that first year was humbling because we, we lost a lot of games, uh, Coach Ed Kamiyama really turned it around the following year in our sophomore year. And by the time we got to our uh, junior and senior year, we were we were one of the best teams in the conference, and um, we were going to playoffs and, and competing at a high level. Wow. And so, uh, so for me, like I said, just having a coach like Ed Kamiyama that one was not going to let you be mediocre. Um, <clears throat> you know, at that time, coaching was uh, a lot more. Uh, coaches can challenge you in different ways, and they can they can they can grab you by the shirt and tell you to pull your head out of your tail. Uh, you know, they can threaten you with certain things to intrinsically motivate you. Uh, and, and Coach Kamiyama was really good at doing that. And he really cared about his team. And, and so, you know, uh, as I mentioned, I wasn't the best player um, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I wasn't getting much offers. I got more offers for volleyball than I did for basketball. Uh, I played football just because I went to learn how to take contact or give contact to be better for basketball. I played volleyball because I, I wanted to do something else. You know, nowadays kids have trainers and they have their guy that, that helps them get stronger, quicker, faster. Uh, and so back then the way we did it is you play different sports. And so basketball was my primary sport. I played football, I played basketball, I played, uh, volleyball, and then I ran track. And so, uh, it just kept me busy, kept me in this mindset of competition. Uh, I, I was a really good academic person as well, which, again, for me, man, I was I was really blessed to take seven AP classes through my uh, junior and senior year, and um, and and you know I finished in the top in the top uh, five in my class out of 450 seniors by the time I graduated. So. 
you know, and that was all because of my hard work, man. And again, I attribute that always and will always attribute that to my to my parents and being able to see that on a daily basis, but also the mentorship of, as I mentioned, uh, David Mendoza, who really took me under his wing and Rudy and Mario, who really pushed me to do, hey, man, you need to you need to be the guy that gets out of here. You need to be the guy that, you know, represents us. You need to be the guy that's going to be able to do some stuff. You know, we're always going to be here. When you come back, we'll be here. Wow. And, uh, and, and so, man, I, I've, my success has not been because solely because of my determination, but because of people that really, uh, poured into my life who saw something in me that was, that was, that was, you know, something that they thought I could do. And so, uh, you know, the, the other piece that really helped me too, Caesar, was that I was in the, uh, Los Angeles Police Explorer program. Mm. And uh, obviously, growing up in the hood and having anything to do with the police department was not necessarily a good thing, man. Because uh, you know the the, the negative uh, connotations they put towards police officers. You know, five zero or here comes a pig or whatever. You know, growing up in the hood, um, I caught a lot of slack because of it. But you know, I I, I enjoyed it so much, man. I. I grew, I ended up being, by the time I left, I was in, I was a lieutenant for that cadet program, but my most memorable experiences were when I was a drill instructor for two of those years and I got to train other people and, and put my leadership, uh, uh, put my leadership to the test and, and how to make people better and, and really get the most out of them. And, and so that leadership for me has always existed. I was a captain on my high school team. I was, captain of my volleyball team and so uh those things for me uh i've always been in those situations where i've had to grow and i and and i invited that i invited that into my life because i wanted to be that i really wanted to um but you know there's always the fear of like what if you're not good enough and so for me i just wanted to see if i was good enough or not and i was okay with with the outcome of it no matter what and you know one of the things that and, and to me, just hearing the story um, again, because I've heard your story and we've talked about it. And to everybody that's listening is that there is no excuses um, because just 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 hearing your upbringings. We haven't even got to the to, to what you evolved into today um, that just with all the adversity, but that you faced that, you you know, that that was around you, you took you took the different path and made the best out of what was presented to you. I mean, playing volleyball, uh, just to get better in basketball, playing football, um, going out there and being part of the cadet program. I mean, that just right there, anybody that's listening that gives excuses why they're not doing the things they do. Well, let me tell you one thing. I mean, just, just Omar's story right now, um, sharing everything that was around him, and it still didn't, you know, it, it didn't stop him or made him say, oh, you know what? Never mind. Let me just let me just settle. Uh, he kept going. He tried different things. I mean, being top five of your class, having eight AP classes as a junior and a senior, all that right there just shows that it's it's all determination. It's all what you want to do. And and this is such a great inspirational story, Omar, because there's so many people out there just giving excuse after excuse why they don't do the things they do. But hearing your story, hearing the circumstances, hearing all the different things going on around, you know, your 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 household with all the violence and everything going on, you decided to take a different path. 
And, you know, if you talk to most people, they will say, well, you know, um, there's this thing luck, you know, and, and we haven't even got to your story, which, you know, what you've been able to do um, after college. But, you know, and, and maybe you want to add to it. But to me, I'm just hearing your story. I'm like, man, like if, if you're if anybody's in that situation, which, you know, times have changed, it's not much. You know, there is violence. The gangs are not as big as they were back then. But if if you're not moving ahead or you're not following your dream, I mean, it's just an excuse, you know, because just hearing your story and, and all the things you've gone through and still be able to come out on top. People have no excuses. You know, I also like to add that, um, you know, I talk about that. I did, did all these things and um, obviously these things cost money, you know. And, and I know there's people in situations where they're like, oh, well, my parents can't afford. Well, my parents couldn't afford. You know, when I was a cadet, uh, my, my dad couldn't take me to the meetings, you know, but I didn't let that deter me. My dad had to work late sometimes and just couldn't take me. And then my dad would have to then be back up the next day at five o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I also attribute part of my growth to uh, a police officer uh, officer Stinson Brown that to this day I still talk to and and he also took me under his wing and would would you know pick me up when I couldn't make it he would drop me off when uh, when I, I you know knowing I did not have a ride home um, when I needed shoes for basketball I had to work I was a butcher at the age of 12 and with my uncle and just making money at the at the grocery stores uh, or the liquor stores across the street from us. Um, you know, I was, uh, by the time I got to high school, I was a science coordinator for an after school program. Um, so, you know, we live in a day and age where we talked in the last, in the last podcast that we experienced a lot of adversity growing up and our parents did everything they could to help. But then we have now us in a generation where we we have been able to be better providers. And, you know, that's what we want. That's what our parents, I hope, want. That's what we want for our kids, to be better than us. Um, but you can't utilize that as an excuse to say, you know, I, I you know, my parents can't afford. Uh, whatever you voice into the universe is going to be able to give you the opportunity but it's going to test to see whether you want it or not. And again, if you're a victim thinker and saying, why, why can't, you know, my parents afford, like you got to get in the right mind frame of figuring out how and adding I. And when you do that, now you become very solution oriented towards your goals and nothing can stop you. Absolutely nothing can stop you, you know? And uh, I'll share another story that uh, I, I don't think I've shared with much, many people is that, you know, my mom and dad, you know, my mom, for obvious reasons, my mom to this day does not drive. She doesn't have a driver's license. She's always relied on my dad or someone to drive her somewhere. And so I, I figured if my mom at the time had a driver's license, I, you know, I think she wanted to support me in spirit. I really, I really do believe that wholeheartedly that my mom wanted to support me in spirit. And obviously, as I mentioned to you, growing up in the inner city, you know, when we play basketball, LAPD was our security. 
you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. we couldn't, we couldn't play night games in, in, in football. And so, as I mentioned to you, my dad being a, uh, you know, uh, hardworking man and having to wake up every morning at four 30 to be at work at five. And sometimes, you know, a 12 to 14 hour shift is, is it was a common practice. And so to support your son in, in his sports was never, never a priority really. And, uh, and so, uh, so I had to navigate through a lot of this stuff. And again, having people like David Mendoza, Rudy and, and, and Mario Fernandez that really kind of helped mold me and, and push me and not let me victimize myself, um, really helped that process. But my point is that, you know, my kids right now are in extracurriculars and we pay a lot of money for them to be in extracurriculars. And we're blessed enough to be in a situation where we can do those things. But if you're not in a situation where your parents can afford, you have to find a, a way. You have to find a way to do it if you really want to. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's really key for me to, to have people understand that if you really want it, there's a way to do it. You got to find that way. So yeah. I wanted to add to that. No, and then and that's a great, and thank you for adding that because it's so true, you know, and, and talking to a lot of the younger, you know, younger adults these days and working with them, um, you know, they, they don't understand that, um, you know, there's a little bit of entitlement. Sometimes there's a little, there's a lot. It just depends on, you know, how they, how they perceive it. And, you know, just being able to have an opportunity to be able to follow your dream or follow your passion. Um, in today's times, I feel it's easier, not harder than when we were growing up following our dreams and goals, because, you know, back then there was no social media, there was no YouTube, there was none of that. So, you know, to get exposure, and, and that's where I'm leading this to is, you know, you as a basketball player, your senior year, you know, how, how did you get into a college to play basketball? Because um, back then it was different than what it is today. Um, you know, uh, uh, college scouts, you know, have reports from all over the country. They just go on a database. Back then, I mean, computers were newer, so there was not that much technology for them to use. And, you know, how, how did that happen? How did you, because, um, I, you know, uh, talk, share a little bit of how you got into college to play basketball and how that career went. And then after that, how you transitioned to becoming a coach for 18 years in a university. Um, share a little bit about how, how that transitioned. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the databases that exist now uh, back then <laughs> did not exist. And uh, the, the old-fashioned network and the old-fashioned uh, people getting out and seeing you play was key. Uh, I will tell you, uh, I was not on the ESPN top 100 or maybe top 2000, to be honest with you. I wasn't a recruited student athlete. I, I might have, I believe I got two letters. Uh, back then, you would receive a letter from a college that was interested. And they were both Division three schools. And uh, the, I guess the... Um, the way D3s exist and the way they, they go about um, providing, I guess, aid is through academics. So obviously having a 4.325 GPA and, you know, knowing that I play basketball uh, really was enticing to those kind of schools because they know they can give me money. 
Uh, at the time, I didn't know. I knew D1, right? You know, D1. Uh, you, uh, we knew a little bit about D2, and uh, you know, D3 was like okay. And then, of course, you have your your junior colleges. At that time, I also didn't know there was another division of uh, uh, called the NAIA, but I was not recruited. And uh, to be honest, you know, three and maybe four years ago, my high school coach retired, and I was asked to speak on on. Uh, on his behalf at his retirement party. And I shared this story at the time because uh, I, I was nothing special in high school. You know, I had a teammate by the name of Julio Medrano, who was such a prolific shooter, man, amazing shooter. And um, he's still a good friend of mine. And, um, and he didn't go to college, you know, he ended up, ended up going a different route, um, you know, um, he, he, I mean, the guy can put the ball in the hole like no other. I've never been around such a great, phenomenal shooter. We had another kid by the name of Clem Brelove who averaged about 26 a game. And uh, I, I was just surrounded by a lot of these guys that were really good basketball players, man. And I just happened to be along for the ride. So I had no offers. Um, I had two Division three schools that inquired about me. Um, and as I mentioned, when I talked about in, in Coach Kamiyama's retirement, I remember Coach Kamiyama telling me that I was not going to play college basketball. Wow. And uh, at the time, it was hard to hear because I'm like, you know, screw you, Coach. Like, what do you know? You know, like, and so, um, so that planted a seed for me, man. It really did. And uh, I knew, I, I was realistic in the in the sense of knowing that I was not a Division One player. I had Division One looks for volleyball, but obviously I wanted to play basketball. I was I was I was really uh, determined to play college basketball. So when I got accepted into UC Davis, and um, at the time, I, year one, I I was playing volleyball. I really missed basketball. I, I then tried to walk on and um, to to Davis. And then uh, Coach Bob Williams and uh, Brian uh, Fogel were two great, great coaches, man. And um, I ended up uh, – they allowed me to come to spring training and, and did some spring stuff. Well, I ended up blowing out my ACL. Blew it out completely. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get uh, surgery by one of the Sacramento Kings doctors that just happened to be the team doctor for the, for the athletic department. And so um, – Obviously, I couldn't play basketball because uh, I had to come back from the ACL. At that time, they, they would say 12 to 16 months before you can come back fully recovered, and that's if you did your rehab. I came back in two months, which two months, which was the worst thing I could have done to contact because I, it wasn't as strong as I thought, but I rehabbed it every day. I was determined. Um, so, obviously, I couldn't I – couldn't, um, I still wanted to be part of hoop. I wanted to, I wanted basketball in my life. I missed it so much. Um, and I asked coach Bob and, uh, coach Bob Williams. And I asked, uh, Brian Fogel, is there any way I can still be part of this team and contribute? And so, and I said, you know, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to see this. And they granted me the opportunity to be a manager. And for me, like I said, I, I could not do anything on the court. And so I was willing to, do whatever it, it, it took to really get back on the court. Uh, that experience uh, definitely humbled me. Um, you know, when you're out of high school and, and you played high school sports and 
you think you're God's gift to basketball and there's a certain level of cockiness to what you do. That brought me back to earth, man. And uh, the the things that exposed me, what I was exposed to at, at Davis was the ability to see two great coaches. You know, Coach Williams went on to UC Santa Barbara for 19 years and coached there, retired about two years ago. Brian Fogel is still in coaching. He coaches the women's basketball team now at uh, Chico State um, and is very successful there. But I got to see how coaching works firsthand. And I got to see what real basketball players look like. I thought I was a real basketball player. Well, you know, seeing the leadership of our point guard, Dante Ross, and how he led people, seeing the role players fit their role. We had some energy guys, six seven guy by the name of Jason Cox, who had the amazing ability to just exude energy and uh, defend and rebound and, and, and can shoot the three. We had shooters around those guys and Jonathan Surface and Brandon Laird, who is the associate head coach now at uh, – at Sac State and, and um, you know, Kevin Nosek, who's Mr. Davis, who is now an associate head coach at UC Davis. Um, that experience, man, just taught me so much. One, it humbled me to realize that I was nowhere near as good as I thought I needed to be. And so that made me work exponentially harder. Um, because of that experience, we won the national title. We were the only Division II um, school to ever win a national title with no scholarship because at the time Davis was very uh, keen on on providing academic scholarships and uh, and so then after we won the national title coach Williams left they gave Brian Fogel the position they started providing scholarships and so uh, Brian Fogel made some phone calls for me because he knew I really wanted to play and the program was heading in a different direction and so the, I finished my career at Holy Names. I was then recruited at the Holy Names. Um, it was such a great experience for me because I went from UC Davis where, you know, you got 25,000 people. You had like 500 people in your, uh, in your classes. You're like a needle in a haystack. And I go from that to Holy Names where it's a small private Catholic institution. The Sisters of the Holy Names are amazing women. And uh, I go from you know, 500 people in a class to eight. And, uh, and academically it was tough for me at Davis because, uh, you know, even though I was a high GPA guy in high school, uh, Davis was a, a different beast, man. And, uh, and I questioned my cerebral capacity at times at Davis. Uh, but what I, what I later realized was it wasn't that I wasn't bright enough my learning environment wasn't suitable for me. I needed a smaller learning environment. So when I got to the Holy Names and I had eight people in the class and I can meet with my professor and I can really have that added attention, I excelled exponentially in my academics. And uh, I was a bio major with a minor in chemistry and Spanish. And so that and playing basketball was not easy, but I was able to have a very illustrious career because of that experience that I had at Davis. And uh, I was a phenomenal defender in my last two years. We were number one team in the country defensively. Uh, we won our conference uh, championship. We won conference tournament championships. We made it to the national tournament out in Branson, Missouri. And so from that day on at Davis, I always told myself, no one will work harder than I. 
No one will ever outwork me. They might be better than me, but they will never outwork me. And uh, I've taken that with me to this day that you, you might be better and I'll admit that, but she will not outwork me. And so um, that, that's given me the platform that I have now. And, 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 that, and now I can vouch for that because I see your, your work ethic and, and how hard you work and, and the, the passion you put into what you do. But one of the things I want to bring up that, man, it just blew my mind about how, you know, you got hurt and you had surgery and you went and asked. You know, I have a, a, a philosophy that if you don't, you don't ask, you don't get. And you go back to the coaches and you ask them, you know, what kind of opportunity could they have for you? And they bring you as a manager. Um, you still pursuing the love and, and obsession you have for basketball. And, and they give you a shot to become a manager. And once you recover, you ask for an opportunity to see if you, you're able to play. In the, in, in, and you get, you know, you, you transition over to Holy University, finish, you know, your college and play basketball i mean right there it just shows how committed you were to you know figure out a way to play figure out how to be involved in the basketball world most people that don't have that drive or are scared or are fearful they just ignore it and be like ah, you know i'm not gonna ask but you asked and, and and to me that's just like those pivotal moments that are overlooked or people be like ah, oh, you know i could have done that well it takes character to go up to a person and ask, right? And you asked and the opportunity was given to you, not because you're lucky, not because you've put in the hard work, you, you, you know, you go through surgery, you rehab and you're still involved. I mean, that, that right there just shows how much, you, you know, you care for the sport, how much you care to still be part of that. And you were, and you did, and you did do that. I mean, that just right there shows that, most people try things, but they don't want to ask. Most people get their feet wet and are scared to ask questions. And, and, and I mean, right there, that, that, that was a huge pivotal moment. And, you know, a gut check, like I call them, because most people want to do things, but they're scared to ask. That's one thing I tell my three kids, go ask. But what are they going to say? Yeah. Who cares? Who cares what they're going to say? What's yeah. the worst thing they say? No. Well, that's, that you, you hit it dead on. It's like people are afraid to hear no. And, uh, and that's something in coaching where um, when I hire assistant coaches, uh, obviously when I was at Holy Names, we didn't have paid assistants. We had two graduate assistants. And I always treated them as assistant coaches because that's what they needed to be for me. And I always told them, um, you know, I always told them, uh, don't be yes men. Always bring something to the table. Get used to hearing no and being okay with that but it does it should not deter you from contributing and asking and 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 that's the thing it's just the fearfulness of uh of 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 hearing no the the word no to most people is something that it's, it's failure right that to them they receive it as failure and uh you have to be determined and uh, not be afraid to to ask because doors open because you do ask and uh, you know at least you have peace of mind that if you ask and you got to know that, you know, you have peace of mind that you at least ask. But if, if you really want it, then you're going to find the way. You're going <laughs> to find the way to do it, man. And, uh, yeah. you know, 
it, it's incredible how uh, how sometimes in, in my coaching, um, you know, we use we use uh, with coaching just like with anything in leadership. There's a hundred different ways to skin a cat, and so for me, I've over the years kind of uh, molded what I wanted to. Uh, bring to the table and coaching and how I was going to help others and, and serve others more importantly. And so, um, you know, we all have to find what that looks like so that, you know, we can really help each other out as much as we can and be able to move forward. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. If anybody, everybody that's listening out there, if you ever wonder why so many things don't, don't go your way, this is one of them. It's because you don't ask. And if you ask and they say no, you don't try a different way or a different approach. So you, mm-hmm. so, so you transition to you, Holy University. You you finish your college career there, and then you you start coaching. Or how does that transition from being a player to a coach? And 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 and, and the in your track record as a eight, eighteen years as a head coach of uh, Holy University. Well, you know the thing the thing with Holy Names is this: is that it it, it helped me grow immensely. The sisters, um, to this day, man, uh, their core values, I, I, I hold near and near to my heart. And because, uh, you know, the full development of the human person um, is so important to me. Uh, developing people holistically is so important. And that holy name is where I really grasp onto that concept of being able to do that. Um, the other piece is that there, I knew it being a small private institution, there was different things missing at Holy Names. And so when I, when I, let's backtrack. When I was done playing my college career, um, I had an opportunity to go to Arizona and be at a showcase, Latino showcase. And, uh, as I mentioned, I wasn't much of a scorer. And, and so in order to play at the next level, they don't care if you defend. They care about whether you can put the ball in the hole. Well, contrary to me not being a, um, a scorer in college in game, I put a lot of time in the gym. I, I devoted my a lot of my uh, time to getting in the gym and getting shots up and playing and, you know, uh, doing that. And so when I was in Arizona, I ended up having a great showcase. I averaged over 25 points a game. Um, I caught the eyes of a couple people. Obviously, they looked at my college stats and were like, what happened? I'm like, well, I didn't need to. I had, you know, I played with a couple All-American kids. And so I did what was necessary for the team to win. Um, and so then I pursued a professional career in Mexico for a short stint because um, it, it was just not good. It was not good. Uh, the other U.S. player that I was there with received death threats because he uh, asked for his money. And so at that point, I made a very uh, important decision to say, you know what, I don't think this is worth it to me. The camaraderie in professional sports at that level, you know, maybe in the high levels in Germany and all that uh, might be different. Um, but at that level, the camaraderie didn't exist. You're kind of on the island. You're, you're being paid to do one thing and that's put the ball in the hole and, and help teams win. And so uh, I decided to then come back and, uh, in 2002, I ended up getting uh, CSCS certified at UCLA, Certified Strength Conditioning Specialist. And I wanted to really start the programs at Holy Names because they didn't exist. And at that time, you know, I told you uh, earlier that now kids have their own trainer. Like, it's you know, everyone's an expert trainer at something, and, and it's pretty funny. But uh, 
<laughs> you know, obviously I have a background in science and the GFCS <laughs> is so well respected because you cannot take that unless you have a college degree. You know, there's certifications out there that you can take and you can be fresh out of high school and they'll certify you. This place will certify you unless you have a college degree. And that's why it's so well respected around the world. Um, and so, you know, part of falling in love with basketball, what kept me healthy in basketball and helped me outwork people was the work that I was putting in the weight room. Mm. And I attribute that to uh, my good friend, David Mendoza, who at the age of 15, um, 14, introduced me to weight. I would, I would, after all the things that I was doing, um, I would go work out in his garage at his brother's house. And I, I fell in love immediately with lifting weights. And I remember David telling me, well, this is going to give you that added edge. And like I said, at that time, people weren't really utilizing it like that. I mean, at my high school, we didn't have much of a facility. We didn't have, as far as, I mean, we had a nice gym and we had a, a decent facilities, but as far as the weight room is concerned, uh, you know, I feel like the penitentiary had better uh, workout facility than we did, to be honest. But uh, but I was fortunate enough to be with David, and he introduced me to weights. And part of why I, I was able to outwork people was, was because, you know, I was uh, – by the time I got to college, I was 6'4", um, 205 pounds, and about 3% body fat. I mean, I, I worked so hard in the weight room, got so much stronger. I was able to play. I can guard the one through the five, uh, and I played the two through the five in college as a utility player um, because I can do so many different things. And, and part of that was because of how hard I worked not only on the court but off the court. Um and so fast forward to me graduating, you know, the, the pro thing, I left a bad taste in my mouth. I said, you know, I need to start my and um, got certified, began to start working with, uh, with the teams at home games. And at the time, as I mentioned, coaches' mindset were like, oh, well, weights are going to mess you up in your sport. And um, if you're a personal trainer, you might think, oh, you know, the weight rooms to get stronger. But as a strength coach, you realize that you're, you're creating programs that are going to help your athletes perform at a higher level. You're design, designing things that are going to help your, your, uh, your sport. You know, so you work, you know how to do certain things with, uh, with speed, agility, multi-directional movement, hand-eye coordination balance, proprioception, all these different components that help you be a better athlete. And so their idea initially was like, oh, they're going to lift and get bigger. I'm like, there's more to that. And so I ended up starting working with the volleyball team in the spring. And the following year, they ended up winning the title, um, wow. ironically. And then um, I, I worked with men's soccer. And men's soccer was pretty good. I mean, they, to their credit, they were good. So they weren't good because I came on board. But they ended up going to the final four, which they never, ever had done, had gone that far. And so, uh, so then in, uh, 2004, or yeah, 2003, four, I ended up, uh, convincing our, um, women's basketball coach who ended up, uh, being my mentor in basketball, uh, to let me train the girls. 
And we ended up posting the best record ever in school history to this day, still holds at 33 and four. We lost in the Elite Eight by three. Um, and uh, and so then teams started catching on. Um, I then went on to do, do my master's thesis. I did a master's in education with an emphasis in physical fitness. And uh, my master's thesis was around periodization training, which is developing year-round uh, programs for sports. And so after that, you know, I was uh, I was a basketball coach, uh, assistant basketball coach and strength conditioning coach. I then carried on the title at Holy Names as an associate AD. And then we transitioned from being an NAIA institution to being an MCA school. And, um, and so my boss, who was the AD slash men's basketball coach, was basically asked to be one or the other, and he chose to be an AD. And I was happened to be in the right place at the right time and was granted the position of being a head coach at a very young age. I think I was 29 uh, being a head coach. And so that, that was definitely eye-opening for me. And then I became a head coach in 2009 and uh, did it for about 10 10, 10, 11 years. And so um, I've been very fortunate that basketball has brought me this far and been able to put me in front of people to serve and serve them in ways that I feel will help them in their life. I've always taken on the, the approach of being holistic. Winning is important, but uh, you winning in life is far more important to me. And so uh, most of my players, we had some kids that went and played overseas, but I, you know, the slogan in Division Two is that most athletes are going to be professional in something other than their sport, and I really like that because that's true. Not everyone gets to play pro sports, and um, we have to get you ready for the real world and, and and help you be a professional in something other than your sport. So, and you know, one of the, one of the things that you know, I'm just listening to the story how everything transitions and how you've been able to trans. To to transition through your life and pivot um, in many aspects, but actually the life you have lived up to today, most people only live a fraction of it. And, and then not to put any negativity, but what I'm saying is you've been out there attempting, being putting yourself out there, making decisions, this will work, this won't work, being able to make an impact and, just hearing the story and, and it's an inspiration and a motivation because, you know, many people out there are trying to pursue their dreams, trying to pursue their goals, and they don't know where to start. They think, you know, we talked about failure. They think if they fail that, you know, that's the end of the world. I mean, you kept trying and trying and, and I've seen, you know, I've been to your games. I've seen, and you know, we talked about last podcast of how, you know, your, your coaching, your leadership's, uh, your leadership skills change from one season to the other. The way you lead changes from one season to the other. And it's just because part of the evolvement, how you evolve. Um, and, and that's one thing that I've seen from you as well, um, how you you adapt pretty quick. You adjust quick and, and you're able to make a decision if it's if it's not, you know, the best decision you adjust and then get it better and then. You know, I've seen you evolve in that aspect as well as leadership and everything else you've done. Um, and it's just, I mean, I mean, I, like I've told you in the past, I'm very, you inspire me. I love conversating with you because of the lessons, how you, how you attack things, how you do things and how you're so consistent. And that's why you're, a, you've been able to achieve so many great things in life. 
Well, you know, we, the, the worst thing you can do in your life is get complacent. I really believe that. And you have to learn how to continue to evolve and get better. And uh, one of the things that I've always appreciated about coaching is that you you got to constantly get better. Um, my first couple years of coaching, um, we were coaching a different type of player. And I was inexperienced, to be honest, as a, as a head coach. And uh, in coaching, they always say it's a world of difference six inches over from being an assistant coach to a head coach. There's a world of difference. And, and it is. It's a world of difference. And uh, the buck stops with you. You know, everything is your responsibility. Uh, the mess-ups of anyone on your team is your responsibility. And so you have to create a um, a platform that's going to create a culture that that will not hinder you or hinder your program. And so um, I've been fortunate enough to you – know, one of the things that I do now is I'm, I'm an avid reader, and the uh, best way you can uh, – people always think, oh, you need somebody to get better, man. Well, there's so much vital information out there that you can get from books. And so for me, I, I, I've been an avid reader over the last seven, eight years where I just kind of – Want to, want to get better and I, I want to be a sponge and absorb information and, and read things that really intrigue me. Uh, and, and I'm pretty eclectic in the way uh, I choose to read things from, from leadership uh, to management to sports and uh, psychology and mindsets and uh, obviously fitness is such a big, sense conditioning is such a big thing. So I, I read a lot of stuff about biomechanics and, and so I've learned to put all those things together and create uh, something for myself that that hopefully is lasting and can help others um, get to a place where they can succeed. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to add to what you said earlier is, is um, you know, people are always afraid, right? And, and uh, I always feel like fear and failure uh, are the biggest dream killers. Uh, and that's why you have to find your faith, something that's going to help you uh, stay on the path of your plan and invite success and not be led by fear because uh, it is scary, man. It's scary to to uh, put yourself out there and be vulnerable. And, you know, for people to, you know, the bigger your platform gets, the more you're going to get criticized. And, and not everyone's built for that, really or not. And uh, when I became a head coach and I, I realized that everyone thinks they can do your job better, uh, and so you have to be strong in, in, in your convictions of how you're going to teach and what you're teaching um, because um, because that's so important. The people that, that expect you to lead uh, want to see that in you. They not only want to see hear it, they want to see it in your actions. And so... For me as a coach, I you know I continue to lift weights. I'm a I consider myself a, a number chaser. I love lifting weights because I I can always chase numbers. I can always increase numbers. I can't lie to you. You know, there's no lying in weightlifting. I can't say I can squat you know 315 pounds and then you know get in, get under there and do 225 and then hurt myself. It's 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 important that uh, we lead by example of what we want to do. And so with my players. You know, even though I don't play basketball anymore, uh, fitness for me is an, a, an avenue that kind of helps me uh, recenter my, myself. It, it energizes me. 
it uh, does so much for me mentally. Um, and my players see that. They see that day in and day out. And so uh, I earn their respect because they know that I'm doing everything in my power to sacrifice and get better and continue to grow. So. And, and that's, you know, you just hit it on the head um, to be, you have to grow, you know, and, and being able to find your talent. Um, and when this is one thing I always talk about is we all have talents and the talents are different from, from you to me. And, but we've been able to identify our talents and be able to get them to work in our favor, be able to evolve them, be able to get them be able to refine our craft, you know, like, for example, we talked about the pandemic, you know, what are most people doing? They're, 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 they're fearful. They're listening to the negativity instead of taking the time to refine themselves, to find themselves, to be able to sharpen their acts. Like you said, reading a book that on things that, that are important to you, that are your calling, that your talent, your obsession, you know, most people are too busy, stuck on the television's uh, listening to all the negativity going on. So that does not help them for sure. That creates more doubt and fear in them. And, you know, in this time, you know, for, for example, for myself, I've taken the time to refine myself, be able to f- identify things that were in the way, uh, prioritizing the things that matter versus the things that don't matter, uh, sharpening my skill set, reading more books, uh, figuring out better ways to do things, being more productive instead of proactive. So, you know, and, and, and we talked about this the other day is, you know, what what are, what's the difference? And the difference is what you do. And you said it earlier when no one's watching, what you do when no one's mm-hmm. watching is what matters. When you go out to the real world, when you go out there to pursue your career, your dreams and you, you could talk all this talk. But if behind closed doors, you're not doing the things you said you were going to do, they expose themselves. Yeah, of course, we are what we repeatedly do, man. And uh, like I said, on the journey of success and taking the stairs, you're going to get to a platform where you're going to have to show something. And if you're, you're going to show what you've repeatedly done. And if it's, if it's been uh, being a hypocrite, if it's been inconsistent, then you're going to show that when it's time to be on your platform and given the opportunity. And so, you know, it's always the things that you're, constantly doing um and, and uh so so make sure you're doing the right things because and, and understand what it is you really want to do so you can so you can get better at that because uh otherwise um you're going to constantly be in this uh cycle of uh failure and wondering why instead of figuring out how so mm. that's a great analogy <laughs> i love that so What's 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 your ultimate goal? I mean, you've done so much, accomplished so much, uh, you know, being able to follow your dreams, your goals, your path. What's next? Yeah, for me, it's it's uh, continuing my my life purpose, which is serving others. Uh, what that looks like right now, it's it's hard to tell because uh, obviously I, I, I have a a passion for basketball and I have a passion for, for fitness. And, uh, and those are avenues that I can continue to pursue. Um, it's always been in the back of my mind to pursue entrepreneurship, to be honest with you, because, uh, I'm such a hard worker that, uh, you know, maybe entrepreneurship might be something that, that might be, uh, uh, right around the corner for me because I, 
I know that if I'm working hard for myself, that that not only myself but my family are getting better. So that might be an avenue I'll pursue. But I really am trying to get into back into coaching and seeing if I can um, lead another group of young men and see if we can uh, win championships and develop great young men for society. But uh, uh, those jobs are never a dime a dozen, and and uh, and so if granted that opportunity. I wouldn't mind getting back into coaching or even if I was an assistant coach for me, it's never been about my ego. It's been more about serving others. So given the platform to serve. And so, um, so, so those are the things that are, that are looming over my head right now, you know, the entrepreneurship, strength conditioning and basketball are three things that right now I'm trying to come to grips with, uh, which direction I go, that, that, that old mighty fork in the road. And you know, one of the things that, that I just kind of want to share with you, well, you are an entrepreneur, um, the quality, the, the skill sets that are required as an entrepreneur, um, are actually everything, all the qualities you have, um, just, just being, but, but, you know, knowing you and our conversations are always so deep. Um, and just my personal experiences as an entrepreneur, having so many failed businesses and so many setbacks, um, the qualities of, of leadership, uh, the qualities of, of being able to connect with others, get others to be able to get the best out of other people are qualities that match entrepreneurship. You know, being a head coach, uh, of, of a basketball team, it's, it's the same It's the same as being the CEO of a company. It's the exact same skill sets required um so just wanted to share that with you that you already have the skill set so i mean just whatever path you take you're going to be successful that's just you know i want to share that with you just because of those qualities a lot of people are still finding them are developing are evolving them are trying to figure them out but you already figured them out so you have you have that you know as a foundation for for you as well so because you do have that and you know, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's one of those things that sports, um, anything in life, the quality is required to be able to uh, be successful. And one of the things I want to clarify, success is not the dollar amount. You said something super important is to serve for you. Success, of course, money is important to be able to provide, but the purpose to be able to become successful for you is to be able to serve the right people. That's why you're doing mm-hmm. it. And and the thing is, there's a misconception that success is dollars. Success is driving a certain car, living in a certain neighborhood. Yes, that comes with it. But the main purpose when you have one, like for you, is, is to be able to serve. You mentioned three different paths. And those three different paths, regardless which one you take, you'll be able to serve and touch people. So at the end of the day, that's mm-hmm. success. You know, uh, I was reading a book and it says that this gentleman, his whole goal was to go to school get a degree become a teacher and retire in the woods and people laughed at him but in reality he was a success because he was not doing it for the dollar amount he was doing it to be able to serve do 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 what he loved retire in the woods by himself and enjoy the rest of his life and that's success and and you you know when you mention serving when you're able to serve you're successful and money will come regardless because it's just by default, that's how it works. Well, that's the thing is, um, we see, and we spoke earlier 
growing up for us, <clears throat> there was no internet, there was no uh, <clears throat> um, social media, you know, and uh, and unfortunately, uh, that's what social media does for most people is provide a false vision, and and success is driving the car, success is you know owning the home, success is flossing the money, um, but it really isn't. But if you if you find purpose in life then those things come with it eventually. hundred percent. You know, uh, you have to work. You, you have to work through your failures. You have to grow. You have to continue to get better. And eventually you refine, like you, you talked about your journal uh, of failure, that you refine those failures to make them successes. And, uh, and we learn best through what we do wrong. And so, uh, you know, kudos to you for doing that. But we, we really have to do, uh, there is no substitute. You, there is no substitute for success. You have to put in the work. You have to fail. You, you know, any successful person you talk to will tell you that, that they failed over and over again, that they were so determined to continue on on the path that eventually they got to where they needed to be. So, you know, and that's the rewarding part. And for me, the rewarding part has always been to serve people. You know, uh, just in this pandemic, so many of my players have reached out to me for guidance and, and reached out to me for uh, for uh, help with uh, weightlifting programs and stuff like that. And so that's how I know I've impacted people's lives is because there's still a need for me, uh, even though they haven't played for me in two, three, four, seven, ten years, you know, and, and that's that's the impact that we have as coaches and leaders in my profession. And, you know, that's one of the things, just I want to throw it out there, um, your programs you put on Instagram, on, on Facebook, for people people to be able to work out at home. We've been following your program as well. Um, but, you know, that's that's what you do. You've been able to serve and you've been able to touch so many people. And, you know, you've touched me um, and just because of how you do things and how, how you able you've been able to create that foundation and be able to understand um you know, being in in the in, in the fitness um you know i followed your lead on that so just kind of want to share that with you um how you've been able to touch me and you know maria and, and and so many people out there everybody calling you for for advice and and that's what we do when we get stuck so you know definitely uh grateful for that well i appreciate that man and like i said uh the key thing is serving, man. I did those programs uh, because I, there's a lot of my players that were, coach, I don't have weights, I don't have this, I don't have that. And I said, look, man, let me put this together and, and give you something to do. You just need to buy a, a $2.50 deck of cards. And, you know, if you can't buy it, I have, I bought a box of deck of cards because some of my players, oh, I can't, uh, you know, find them. And so uh, I ended up shipping a couple out to a couple of my players. So nice. they can, ex-players, I should say, that, uh, they now have their deck of cards and have no excuses. So, so when it, when let's let's just wrap this, summarize this whole conversation. It's it's actually, I mean, for me, I'm just sitting here and just listening to your story and see, and just again, the reason we do these these podcasts and we have these conversations is to give people hope. You know, there's people out there trying to figure it out. There's people out there that are just sitting on the sidelines. There's people out there wishing, hoping, but there's actually people out there, you know, that are stuck and they're trying to look for that one piece of information that could 
change everything. And like you said earlier, you know, in today's times, we have Internet, we have social media platforms, we have YouTube, we have everything we need to be able to achieve our dreams, our goals. But sometimes, you know, being in the wrong environment, listening to the wrong people, being in the wrong inner circle, you know, um, being, you know, social, you know, influenced by the wrong people, having negative thoughts could, could create that barrier. And, and, and then what I mean is a mental barrier to, to pursue your dreams, to pursue your goals. So if there's one thing or two that you want to add to this podcast, to be able to give somebody, you know, some clarity, if they're stuck, you know, they, they're going through the hard times, but they're not giving in. They're putting in the work when no one's watching and there's, they still don't see the results they're looking for. There's their calling, their talent, uh, their purpose is, is not being, they're not able to see it because it's, it's foggy. What advice would you give those people that are actually still trying to figure out they're still putting in the work when no one's watching, they're still reading the books, but they're stuck. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, man. And, and, I guess the, the one thing that I can uh, give your viewers is, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of an uh, author named John Gordon. John Gordon uh, created uh, a, a positive platform, uh, Positive U University. Um, and uh, one of his books is called Energy Bus. And uh, we, when I spoke earlier about coaching and how I, you know, grab here and, and take from there and trying to make it my own, uh, two things that I've really taken from John is that um, it's his energy bus platform and his one word platform. And I've utilized that to my high performance pyramid to help other people be at a better place. But uh, for your viewers, I, I, I would say uh, one, you have to understand that you are the bus driver of your own bus. Mm. That means you have to take ownership and What's more important about that is who's on your bus? Who's staying? Who's leaving? Why are they leaving? If people that you care about are leaving, you think they're leaving because of them? No, they're leaving because of you. So you really have to find yourself and you have to fuel your bus. No one wants to be on the negative Sally bus. No one wants to be on a bus that people are just going to complain. You have to fuel your bus with energy and you have to fuel it with positive energy and you have to choose faith, you know, and you have to understand that what you're doing has a purpose and, you, and is moving you in the right direction. Um, you have to find triggers that help you identify uh, what that what you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing. For me, I use what's called the one word and uh, that's another John Gordon thing. And, and what that one word is, is, uh, you 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 speak out into the universe what it is you want to do you have to meditate and sit there and think about all the things you want to do and figure out a one word that helps you identify that and what we do with our team is we laminate two copies one they put it in their binder and two wherever they wake up so if they wake up and see in the ceiling that's where their one word is that's the first thing they see to help them start on the right path every morning is look at your one word. My word, one word this year was outlier. And, um, and so every day I start off with my word 
outlier? How does that fit with what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to serve? And so, you know, be the energy, be the, the bus, of, uh, the bus driver of your own bus, uh, feed it with positive energy, figure out what your triggers are as far as your one word and, and how that fits into you serving. And then being able to have a plan that you can execute because a lot of people just have a lot of thoughts and uh, dreams. And those dreams are, are a concept of, of this telescope, you know, and the telescope, when we look at a telescope, we look at the big picture and people stay in the big picture. And so that's, that's, that's great to, to sometimes live there, but you really have to move over to the microscope. The microscope is the details of that. That's where you plan and execute what those dreams are. Mm-hmm. You know, a dream without a plan is just a dream. So you have to plan it and you have to execute it, but you have to go about it in that way because, um, you know, people want to support those that are doing well and, and are helping others. And so, uh, you have to do it for the right reasons and, uh, money can't be your driver. And if it is, you're going to push a lot of people away because that's just not the right way to do it. You have to lead with the purpose, with positive energy, have your one word, get out of your telescope, live in your microscope, plan it, execute it. And I think you'll be on the right path, uh, to serving your purpose in life. Well, well, thank you so much for that. I mean, honestly, like I'm, I'm just like processing everything in it. And it's so funny because I do have one word and, you know, share it real quick and dead weight. That's my, <laughs> um, you know, there, what I mean by that is as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of dead weight we carry. Sometimes we're trying to drag people to the finish line um, and you can't do that. You know, you got to you got to run as a team. You can't carry people on your shoulders. Um, to the finish line you know they got to run next to you and you know just as as an entrepreneur uh, I've been doing that for many years and it's something I've done because I care and because I like I love to serve too but sometimes serving the wrong people could have a uh, uh, you know it's just a lot of weight on your shoulders and sometimes it it, it kicks it kicks your ass you know so um, I totally get what you're saying and it's funny because going back to my journals uh I was reflecting on that. And uh, once he said out, it hit me right away. Like it just stood out. And thank you again for those words. I mean, honestly, it's so true. If you don't have a game plan, um, how, how are you going to be able to execute? You know, I had a mentor that said, Caesar, it's like, it's like, it's like, and excuse me, Frenchies, like, it's like grabbing shit and throwing it against a wall and see what sticks. Um, if you don't have a game plan, that's pretty much how it is. Um, Cause you don't know where you're yeah. going. Um, and, and, that's one thing that for sure. And to add to that is once you understand your goals, your visions, make sure you prioritize them and whatever priorities that you you have match your dreams and goals. Because one of the things I caught myself doing was putting priorities on, on my on my on my game plan and they had nothing to do with my dreams and goals. So I was drifting. And I would drift so off track that by the time I want to get myself back, it took double or triple the work to realign myself. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things is that I, that I have learned the hard way is prioritize the things that match your dreams and goals. For example, you know, if you're if you're an athlete and you're playing sports and, you know, your workout regimens don't match what you need to develop or evolve to become a better player, then don't waste time doing that. Um, I always tell people, 
you know if if if, if you're you're trying to become an artist or you want to play music you know but you're listening to the genres that are not going to help you or you're listening to the wrong people or you're wasting time watching eight hours of netflix that's not going to help you become that best version of yourself so you need to really pay attention to the things you're doing and how they're aligning themselves to your dreams and goals or how you're drifting out of your lane and then when you're trying to get yourself back that's where it gets hard and that's where most people quit that's true that's so true yep and that's why your aspirations and energy have to you have to be more positive than the negativity because uh that white noise as i call it uh exists and it's constant and uh if your dreams and aspirations are bigger than that you're gonna get sidetracked yeah and then you you fall off track and next thing you know you're like you're gonna be you're just gonna be a statistics of why you didn't succeed and it's not and it's because the unknowns and all these conversations there's so many golden nuggets on our conversation today there's so many um gut checks there's so much just, just so much quality of information we shared and i hope you guys take it in re-listen to this podcast and 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 grab the lessons because that's what's gonna you know give you an advantage if it you know um me and omar we've been in this journey for pretty much our life we're giving you 40 50 60 years of personal experiences that we've gone through so you guys could actually not cut the time but at least not make the mistakes we made to be able to take the analogies that we share with you guys to be able to grow faster evolve faster and and get Get your life on track faster. And that's why we do this. So I want to say thank you so much, Omar, for your time. Thank you so much for your story, your wisdom, uh, your gut checks, and you know, the information, everything you provided. It's just so so genuine and so awesome. I want to say thank you again. Well, again, man, thank you for having me and continue to provide this platform for people that uh, really, uh, if we can help and touch one person, then I think we've done our job. And so... Uh, uh, thank you for the platform you create for others. Thank you so much. Then we'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys for listening. Right. This is Caesar with the Gut Check. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you guys for joining us. This is the Gut Check with Caesar Gomez. Stay tuned for more Gut Checks, more episodes. And if you got value through any of our episodes, feel free to share them with your friends, colleagues, other entrepreneurs, anybody out there that's just trying to better their life. See you guys soon. Wait.